Welcome to Small Findings. This is a podcast where I share with you things I found out. Uh, I hope these are interesting things. They might be new to you or maybe they're interesting to you because you already knew them and it's kind of funny that I didn't know them. But this week we've got some findings about animal sounds, about cat birds and grasshoppers. We have some findings about Bandcamp and the process of putting stuff out as an artist on Bandcamp. And finally, uh, a bit about the unsuitability of Bitcoin as a currency. All right, on to the findings. I'm out at Cape Cod, where I've never been before, and here's a very brief finding. We heard this strange sound. Uh, Here, I'll play it for you. That, it turns out, is not a cat, but a bird called the cat bird. A bird which sounds like a cat. Only on Cape Cod. Actually, probably probably not at all only on Cape Cod, but that is the first time I saw it. Also, another small finding, Cape Cod... It is pretty much like the rest of Massachusetts. It is, uh, you know, surrounded by ocean, though. So it's 10 degrees cooler right now, like 80 degrees Fahrenheit right now. Whereas over on the mainland in Cambridge, it's 90 degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that's kind of nice. I put an album on Bandcamp last night, and there are a bunch of things I didn't expect. The first thing is I wasn't allowed to have a track that was over 290 megabytes. So they ask you to upload uncompressed audio, which makes sense, so that they could have their own automated processes, create the MP3s and the FLAX and Um, the various uh, compressed formats that uh, people want and do it in a consistent manner. Uh, But I have... My album was like an hour and 45 minutes, and I decided to break it up into four large movements. And I wanted each movement to be a track. But... They were over 500 megabytes, and they wouldn't let me do that. So I had to break them up. I ended up with 10 tracks in order to keep every one of them under 291 megabytes. And the awkward thing was I didn't really know what to name them after I'd broken them up. 
So I tried various kinds of alternate naming, but they all changed the character, um, the character of the piece. I felt they would change the perception of them. Uh, so, for example, the first track is called zero to six times 10 to the 99th power years in the future. That's, that's what the old first movement used to be called. It was split into two tracks, and I ended up just calling it zero to six times 10 to the 99th power years in the future part one, and zero to six times 10 to the 99th power years in the future part two. That is, the, that is a mouthful, but it keeps, keeps it feeling the way it did originally. The other thing I found out, and this isn't related to Bandcamp, is when I was splitting this up into movements in the first place and then splitting them further, uh, I had to cut continuous music. So the way it was recorded is um, I recorded... I, I had a browser play this music, actually two browsers, so uh, I had one browser play uh, the vibraphone parts uh, because it could handle that without any dropouts, and that was that was Chrome. And I had the other one play the horns and the the voice parts, and it could do those properly without making them sound overly cold the way Chrome did. And so I had Firefox do that part, and then I would just composite them together, and it would be one long, one hour and 45 minute uh, wave file. When it was time to chop them up, um, ideally, when you start a track or when you end a track, it ends at the zero mark, uh, ends on silence, uh, so that when you start or end the track, there's no popping sound when you play it. But in continuous music, especially when you have independent stereo tracks, there, there might not be a common zero point among the two, a point at which it's you know zero dB full scale total silence. So you you just have to pick a point and cut it, I think. And one thing you could do is you could do fade outs and fade in. So you could do a tiny fade out, uh, you know, ranging a thousandth of a second, or and fade in. The problem I found there is it, it doesn't sound continuous anymore when you do that. So you fade out the end of one track and you start the next track, it doesn't sound continuous anymore. So I tried doing a hard cut and it did sound weird, but I, th I think that was because of the settings in my media player, Plex. I, I have to mess with that to, to get it to handle that right, but it didn't, it sounded, it, it sounded like there was like a mechanical cut there between the two tracks. But when I, when I uploaded those to Bandcamp um, and tried listening back, it did, a, it did a good job. So Bandcamp's player and probably other audio players will make sure that when you do a hard cut, it will line up the first sample of the next track with the, the final sample of the track before it, it will sound continuous. So that's pretty good news. The other thing I found out is 
you shouldn't uh, try to come up with an album cover the night when you upload it. I came up with something that was okay, but not really fitting. So I have to, I have to come up with a real album cover today, and that is significant work. And you shouldn't underestimate that. In fact, like uh, when you read the Bandcamp artist guidelines, they they recommend you recommend you not only take that seriously, but you also make real liner notes, which um, maybe I'll have to do later. But um, the other thing I found out is when you submit something, you could be considered for Bandcamp Daily. I read Bandcamp Daily a lot. They they find a lot of good stuff. But I didn't realize before that it must be all new stuff. Because to be considered for Bandcamp Daily, they want you to send them unreleased music. So you set it to private or, or draft in Bandcamp and tell them about it so that only they could see it. And then they'll check it out and then they'll take some time, maybe a month to to get through the submissions, another month to write it up and publish it. And that takes about two months. I know that this is maybe not reasonable, but I, I cannot bear to wait two months. I, I think I just want this out so that I can forget about it and move on. But for people who have like a, a strong regular pipeline of music, this is probably not a big deal at all to them. They're planning they're making their music right now, and they're planning on releasing the music they made earlier. Um, and f- for me, emotionally, I don't, I don't think I could wait that long. And then, and of course, it'd be because they receive thousands of submissions, uh, and they probably don't tell you that they're not going to write it up. So that's that's probably crushing. So I couldn't roll with that. But overall. I think it's a pretty good experience. They let you customize quite a bit. If you're on something like Apple Music or Spotify, you you get to change your your bio and maybe you get to change your artist photo. There's sort of like with Bandcamp, it's sort of like theming a Tumblr or something like that. You, You get to pick various colors and you get to change header and background images. I have a next day, 24 hours later update that Bandcamp finding. Ah, uh, I decided I will wait. There's, there's not really a big difference between uh, me releasing this now and in a year and a half or so. Oh, and the other thing is, Cat made my album cover for me. Ray. So it is about a week after I recorded that finding about Bandcamp. And here, here's, here's an update. What I did find is I actually could wait to release the album. So what I did was I, I got everything ready. I submitted to Bandcamp daily. And uh, it was rejected. But the nice thing is... It was rejected the next day. And I really appreciate getting an actual explicit message about that. So that was pretty cool. 
I forgot to put up the link to the album last time, and I will make sure to do it this time. It is an ambient album, and if you've never listened to ambient music before, uh, my suggestion is this. When you stream it on Bandcamp or um, you check out the link to the to the live performance, I would try listening to it while doing something else. Just leaving it on and uh, paying attention to it as you wish uh, or don't wish and letting it be part of your environment. Um, so ambient music can work uh, with both focal attention and peripheral attention, but it can be a bit much for uh, focal attention if you're, you're not accustomed to this kind of thing. For what it's worth, I've listened to the entire thing about three times with uh, focal attention, with like really paying attention to it and make it my main thing. But if you're not used to this kind of music, that is sort of a hard mode. So I recommend not trying it that way. And uh, if you give it a shot, you might like it, you might not like it, but I appreciate you giving it a listen. Oh, and another update. Hugh, a friend of the show, told me that he was able to notice the delay in the vibraphone segments I played. Uh, So um, if you go back to the last episode and listen to those yourself, maybe you also did. I guess I guess I'll revise that finding to say that I cannot tell um, when there's delay on a vibraphone, mostly because I guess I, I'm not as familiar with vibraphone as other people. So that sound. That sound is grasshoppers. I'm in North Carolina right now. We're visiting my mother-in-law and brother-in-law. And my friend Wynn told me that that sound is grasshoppers. Pretty freaky. I write a paper by Nassim Nicholas Taleb, who I guess goes to the Tandon School of Engineering at NYU. And his paper is called Bitcoin, Currencies, and Fragility. And I think that there's something pretty interesting about, uh, he has many, he explains many ways in which Bitcoin is a failure as a currency, which is what it was originally intended to be. And some some of these things are in plain sight, but uh, they didn't really occur to me. I think a lot of what you hear these days is that Bitcoin is hot, that it is going up in price, and people are very excited about that because they bought in. Uh, and then, of course, they're sad when it crashes, but they, they don't seem to talk quite as much about that. But it is, in fact, very volatile. It uh, becomes... It shoots up in value and it drops down in value. It, it, it's, it's 
pretty classically volatile. And this is actually bad for a currency. Um, the reason that is, is that you can't reliably price things in Bitcoin for that reason. So let's say on a given day, a Bitcoin is worth $10,000 and you are selling a car that is worth $10,000. So you price it at one Bitcoin. Uh, and then the next day, Bitcoin drops and Bitcoin is now worth $5,000. So if that happens, somebody will happily pay you one Bitcoin because one Bitcoin is worth $5,000. Uh, and if they're paying the person selling the exact same car in dollars, they would pay $10,000. So they get a huge discount by paying you one Bitcoin, which is bad for you. So uh, the opposite could happen. Bitcoin could shoot up and then the next day Bitcoin could be worth $20,000. In that case, they'll probably just buy the car priced in dollars. They'll, they'll buy the $10,000 car. Or uh, what they'll do is they'll sell their one Bitcoin for $20,000 and then pay the $10,000 to uh, somebody selling a car for $10,000. So, so here, the real currency is the dollar. And the bit, Bitcoin might as well be a stock uh, that has gone up and gone down that you sell or don't sell in order to get the actual money. And, uh, you know, Bitcoin is not the only currency that has failed at this. Apparently, in the 70s, a pair of investment brothers, <laughs> I, I, I don't know if that's a real term, but they were brothers. They're named the Hunt Brothers. They hoarded silver, which caused an explosion in the price of silver and other precious metals. And of course, there was a crash. And according to the author, even today, 41 years later, um, silver has not reached the peak that it was, uh, that it was at before. I guess, fortunately for the U.S., um, I think in 1971, they ended the Bretton Woods Agreement and the dollar was no longer pegged to gold or silver. So they avoided having the dollar change rapidly in value. And this is not mentioned by the paper, possibly because so many people already know it or um, it's not a serious finance concern. But every Bitcoin transaction costs like t multiple thousands more times more electricity than the equivalent like credit card transaction. So that is an insanely wasteful amount of energy to be using for something that is mostly just a purely uh, speculative tool. And that's it for this episode's findings. 
Uh, it was sort of a, a vacation episode in that uh, several of these findings, pretty much all of them except for the band camp when were recorded while traveling to various locations. It's sort of a bonus finding if you really, really think about it. And, um, yeah, if you have anything to say about these, if you have any findings you want to share, email me at smallfindings at fastmail.com. Thanks for listening.